I'm Bay, and you're listening to Bay Baltimore, a weekly pop culture and society podcast recorded in a quiet neighborhood in Baltimore. This episode, I'm, I watched The Little Things, and I'm going to talk about it. But first, I want to talk about something. <laughs> I want to talk about a few other things um, that I was thinking about watching, but decided I just can't. I just can't. Um, and anyway, happy Valentine's um, weekend? Valentine's Day weekend? Anyway, hey. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, hope you're well. Um, you know, I'm doing well myself. Um, yeah, just, you know, just doesn't, it still doesn't, all these holidays, honestly, you know, find the joy where you can. Cause it's just, <sighs> hubby is the more sentimental one for me for between the two of us. He's more sentimental. I'm lovey dovey and all of that stuff and cuddles and and sunshine and flowers and bright colors and all of that. But when it comes to like grand displays of affection, I am a simple person. I would rather, I, I, this is this is how simple I am, or this is how persnickety I am. I don't like a bouquet of flowers. I think they're nice for a very, very special occasion, like retirements and stuff like that. But when it comes to getting something for me, when you want to impress me, don't get me flowers unless I can plant them. Or don't get me flowers unless they will live for months in my home. I don't like them. Um, Cards, I really would rather not um, because after I read them, I don't do anything with them. And so, you know, send me a message on social. (laughs) That sounds tacky. Send me a message on social. Um, send me a letter. I, I will. Mm, send me a letter. I'll do a letter. I will. I, I only have a few letters and I've kept every one of them. Um, send me a painting. Ooh. I don't care if you think it's good. Send me a painting. Um, don't send me a card or a letter. I mean, uh, a card or some flowers. Unless I can keep them in my home or plant them. Um, and so that's who I am. And so my husband, oh my goodness, he is a card somebody. You hear me? Every time, if you want somebody to pick out the most tasteful and on point message, my hubby is your, is, is the person for you. He, he gonna, he gonna work it out. He gonna, he, he's got the knack. Um, yeah, like he He's he's better at that than me. He's very sentimental. He remembers, he counts our relationship. This is how hubby do. He counts our relationship from the first day we met. And I'm like, I didn't know if I liked you as a person, let alone as a as a mate. Like, that's 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 me. Um, and so <laughs> I have to try really hard not to be not to project my feelings about holidays onto him because he, especially like holidays like Valentine's Day because he enjoys stuff like that. So I have to uh, grin and bear it Um, because at the end of the day, I do love him. So um, it's not like the worst thing in the world. And it's not the worst thing in the world. And I do enjoy eating. Um, I do enjoy chocolate. 
I don't care if it's Baker's chocolate. If it's chocolate, I will have it. Um, and so I can get next to some of the sh displays of affection um, on that day. It's just, I think the absurdity of the fact that it is a day, I need you because it's Tuesday to give me chocolate. I need you because you know I've had a terrible week. Haven't been feeling well. Didn't get a lot of, not a lot of sleep. Stubbed my toe to get me one of them flowers that I really like that I that will sit on the dining room table. Or maybe we don't have any space anymore. But put it on the plant shelf and I will admire it. Or I'll put it in the guest room and I will admire it. That's the sort of displays of affection that I appreciate. And hubby's getting, he's he's almost there. He almost got it to a T. Um, that and Utch chips, when I'm just feeling low and I have come in from a meeting or I have got off a Zoom call and I am just two through, here come baby with the, with the you know, little bowl of Utch chips, make the day go better. You know what I mean? Like, anyway. That's my love language. Anyway, um, so yeah, whatever yours is, like even with family and stuff, you know, I, I speak about hubby, but at the end of the day, like there's just some people. I got I got a, uh, some people in my life that, mm, you know, the best cooked chicken just ain't going, still can't touch how much I love them. Do you know what I mean? Like the best piece of chocolate just ain't hitting the way a hug from these people hit for me. And so I always reach out and say something stupid, but cute at the same time, just show my affection to um, the people that I love um, in and around this holiday, even though I think it's a dumb holiday. I, I, no, I don't think it's a dumb holiday. I think the commercialization of it is stupid and I wish they would stop. But anyway, um, so yeah, so however you celebrate, I hope you celebrate with the people that matter most to you, not just your uh, Eros relationships, but your familial ones, your, your um, what is it, philia relationships and all of that stuff. Um, yeah, I, I and also love on yourself. You have to, you have to, have to, have to love on yourself. Um, and so anyway, enough about that. Um, if you are just joining, uh, if you are just joining me, like I'm on the radio, I'm not. Um, if this is your first episode, hey, how you doing? So glad to hear from you. Um, if somebody, if you listen to my uh, one of my latest episodes and you decided you're going to stick around to see what uh, this episode was going to be um, like, I appreciate you for stopping through. Um, you know, I watch a lot of things. I read a lot of things. I haven't read much anything beyond romance these days, and I'm not going to review no romance novel unless it's like epic. You know what I mean? Nothing to do that. So um, lest you thought I wasn't reading. Oh, I am. It's just that. <laughs> it's just the, those romance novels. Oh, man, you read you read like three or four and then baby, you have just read them. Um, nevertheless, I still enjoy reading my good old romance novels. I used to make fun of my mama. And my mom and my uh, my auntie, the the uh, the one that was nearest and dearest to my heart, like my second mama, used to make fun of them for reading romance novels. And here I am, just just mm, just devouring some romance novels. Well, I'm not going to tell you what I'm reading because you know I'm not ready for that. Anyway, um, what was I going to say? 
Oh shoot, there was a reason why I brought up romance novels. Shoot. Anyway, I'm I'm looking I, I guess I'm said that to say that I am looking forward to um some books that are coming up. Oh, that's what I wanted to bring. Um speaking of romance novels, found out I was a week it was a week ago about a week ago today. Or at least a week ago release day. Um that I found out that Stacey Abrams wrote romance novels. And she writes them under the pen name of Selena Montgomery. And I said, where, and where was I? Because I, I looked these books up and they're from like 2018, which makes me think everybody else knew but me. Um, and yeah, I hear that they're spicy. Mm, very spicy. So I will be delving into Selena Gomez, uh, Gomez Selena Montgomery's um books i don't know that they're like a series but she's got like four or five of them that she released and so i will be reading like a couple just to see how nasty and racy they are anyway um but switching gears talking about things that i thought i was going to talk about so like backpedal just a little bit so if you're new to this show like i, I review a lot of books and and movie and tv and stuff like that and so um I I really hate these notifications. You probably just heard that. On my nerves, these notifications. But anyway, you're probably gonna hear a few more, so just keep it moving. Um, anyway, um I thought I was going to watch Big Sky. I thought I was gonna watch it for a few reasons. There's a black lead actress and Ryan Phillippe. Um, Ryan Phillippe has he was cute, but as he's gotten older, to me, he has gotten more attractive. To me, he's gotten more attractive. He was just all right when he was younger, but now he's older. For me, he feels he seems more attractive. Anyway, so I was just like, okay, I'm gonna give me some Ryan Phillippe, um, older, more refined Ryan Phillippe, and then you know, a black woman. Um, and in in an environment that we're not used to seeing black people on TV, so I'm like, okay, bet. I don't typically uh, um, watch network TV because it's super formulaic, um, very much panders to a crowd that I, I'm i not part of, um, very, very just not my cup of tea in most instances, most, most instances. I did not, uh, case in point, I'm not a fan of This Is Us. It doesn't move me. I do appreciate Sterling K. Sil- uh, Sterling K. Silver, what's that man's name? Sterling Kane Brown. I do appreciate him. Milo, Vignum, but Milo, he cute and everything. Um, go ahead, Mandy Moore. You know what I mean? Like, but it wasn't my cup of tea. I tried, to, I watched a couple episodes and I was like, later for this. And, and by later, I mean never for me. And so, you know, it's little stuff like that. Like blackish, keep it. Like, I appreciate Marseille Martin, um, you know, uh, I keep wanting to call her Diana Ross. Shoot, I can't call her actual name, Diana Ross's baby. I mean, she's not a baby, she's a grown woman. Um, what's her name? The Ross girl, you know who I'm, t- Tracy, Tracy. Um, go ahead, Tracy, yes. Um, not my cup of tea at the end of the day, just I'm not, I don't do, 
it's not that I've never done network TV. It's just I'm not doing it these days because um, it just doesn't move me. I'd rather watch something else. I'd rather watch stuff that might give me nightmares, but at least it has a good story <laughs> and some eye candy, like 30 uh, coins. Um, you know what I mean? So like, I, I don't, I don't get, I can't get next to it, but I did want to give Big Sky an opportunity for the reasons I just mentioned. So I began to watch it and I got to be honest with you, my feelings on this show went from betrayal to distrust to abused, feeling abused. Um, and I, I, I am so angry at this show. Like I never thought that I could be frustrated by a show because it's a show. I, I'm not making any money, nor am I losing it on these shows. I, I shouldn't be losing any sleep on it either. But I watched this show and I'm just, if you are, if you have not watched Big Sky or you and you were thinking about watching it, give me like three minutes, skip ahead like three minutes. So all of y'all who have watched it or all of y'all who do not care, you still with me, right? Okay. So let me just say this. I was, I felt hoodwinked that you lured me in with Ryan Phillippe and the promise of seeing him in various states throughout however many seasons this show could potentially go. And you got rid of him in the first episode that was trifling, number one. Number two, it's clear you don't have too many black people in the writer's room, it's clear, because you got the one black character, the one lead black character, you essentially, she she is a, but for the actress that playing that's playing her, that character is a white person. You've written this person like a white person. That's how I know. And and that's not that's you literally you literally changed the skin tone of the character, but you didn't put any of the traits of a black woman living in Montana. I've never been to Montana. I, I'm from the Midwest, but ain't never been to Montana. And I can tell you this: even though black people are not a monolith, what are you doing with old girl? Black people listen to country, it's true. Black people listen to all sorts of things because if you're not miss, if you really want to go there, a lot of the stuff that 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 everybody loves today, including many aspects of, of country, are influenced, if not directly coming from blues and jazz, which were invented and created by black people. And I'm not discounting um aspects of 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 hillbilly culture and and, and what they produced and, and different cultures moving to the United States and blending with this music to make more music. I'm not not discounting that at all. But what you're not going to do is tell me that a black woman living in Montana is so whitewashed that the only thing about her is her skin tone and her hair and her father and her, her racially ambiguous son. Like, what are you doing? Like, you just can't. You just can't. It, they just it, you. I swear, if you got if you have anybody black in the in the um, writers room, you got one person, and you don't hardly listen to them. It don't seem like, and it's on my nerves, on my nerves, on my nerves. Oh my gosh. Anyway, so okay, strike number two. Super ridiculous strike number two. You redeemed yourself a little bit because you do have a trans character in there, but your the focus is not that they are trans, right? Okay, fair. All right, cool. You you know you still kidnapping white women and making them damsels in doggone distress, but okay, girl. Anyway, um, and, you know, and then you've got this whole purity thing with these weird white people and I'm like, you know, these weird uh, sheriff and uh, 
I don't even know what this guy is, but he's like the antagonist. Anyway, and you've got this weird relationship with he and his mom. And I'm like, okay, girl, well, um, you go over there and just be where you at. Fine. Um, so, but, but I guess the thing about it for me is, so you have all of these elements and I'm like, okay, this is not super new. This is not super fresh for me, but I'm gonna let it cook. I'm gonna let you, I'm gonna let you have that. I'm gonna let you have that. Um, and then, so not only is the black woman the main one, not first off, I'm, I'm over and annoyed with her getting a bloody lip and fighting over somebody like that whole, that's tired. That whole, that whole triangle, that love triangle, it was tired, but okay, fine. Why y'all got to walk around? Never mind. Let me stop. <laughs> let me stop talking about the outfits. Their outfits are tragic. How come the, the, this thing is full of tropes? How come every tough a tough woman on TV has to have the same dress code? This this blazer, blazer, leather blazer, jean jean blazer, and some some tight pants, and and just it's the look is tacky. Like y'all could do better. Y'all could y'all could really do better and have these people dress better, but you just refuse. You refuse. Because again, you think you know. Anyway, um, so not only that, that was just getting on my nerves. Um, but I watched, I can't even call, I can't even recall uh the episode at this point because I've been stopping and starting watching this thing so many times because I've just been getting disgusted. But the last episode I watched, I just couldn't do it anymore. So apparently the sheriff, he gets, he, you know, he's in cahoots with the, the antagonist. So he's one of them more, he's one of the other antagonists. And he's in cahoots with him and he gets caught and blah, blah, blah. And he gets called into the police station, blah, blah, blah. And he's talking to an indigenous man. He's talking to an indigenous man, this white man. And he's talking about a black woman and he's invoking Black Lives Matter and, and how he's being persecuted as a white man. It felt like pandering on the highest level to me. And I feel like writing someone. It is as hollow and backward as the NFL playing the Black National Anthem before games. It is as hollow and empty as that. I am so insulted by that scene. And I think, I know that they think they did something with writing that. They need, they need their butts whooped off that scene alone. It wasn't endearing, it wasn't powerful. It reminds me of what people actually believe. Well, what, I'm getting upset. It is so very frustrating to me. And you got to see this why I don't watch network TV because this audience, I'm not in it. You're not writing this for me. You're not. You writing this for you writing this for your Midwestern demographic, and even in that Midwestern demographic, you writing you writing it for white Midwestern middle class white families. Whatever. Well, I said it. I said white twice. It's clear you got you got a you got a uh, indigenous man in there who's in a position of power. He ain't no punk. He is like the head honcho. You got this black woman in here who be knowing which that's getting old too. Like nobody else can be known as well. But anyway, um, 
And then you're going to do some old funky stuff like this. And there goes another notification. You're going to do some old funky stuff like this where you put this guy who's clearly a bad guy using this trope that everybody knows. I guess, why am I mad? Because I feel like it's disingenuous. You put this in there. You, they put The writers put that in there for shock. But it's real is my problem. You used a real sentiment that people... That people over here in Maryland, people over here, some of these officers that are from Baltimore, who, by the way, aren't always white, but are anti-black. And then you have black officers who, in some cases, use the same sentiment. And so you take in this thing that is very real, that needs real attention, and you're putting it in the show from shock. It's not redeemable, and I, I regret that I watched any part of this show. And this is why I don't watch network TV. And if you are from the UK, cause I, I've been looking at the, the my stats and I know there's some folks from Ireland and Northern Ireland and, and, and in the UK. And I'm sure y'all have some aspect of this on your TV coming out the BBC and all of that stuff. I know that there's some irkiness to, to some of the shows. I just, I, you, it frustrates me to no end. You can't be creative no other way. You have just got to invoke the the gnarliest of stereotypes. And the, you, you, you you invoke this imagery. You take the you you bring in these subjects that really need care and you treat them with irreverence by having a murderous, lecherous, terrible character spew it out as a way to detract or to throw people off their scent. It's low, it's trifling. I don't know who's in the writer's room, but y'all need y'all butts whooped, for real. And I have never felt this strongly about a show in my life because I ain't making no money and a show ain't losing no money because of this show. Nevertheless, I felt, I feel, I felt misled, betrayed, and now I feel abused. And so you can't get no more of my time, Big Sky. Sorry about it. No, I'm not sorry about it. I don't feel no ways about it because I'm literally not watching anymore. And I pray that, that the writers change or the show doesn't move forward, but whatever. That was hateful, but I feel very strongly. Um, anyway, so so anyway, I wanted to talk about that show, but I'm not finna talk about that show because I do not care. No, ma'am, not finna. Not finna talk about that show. And so anyway, so, in trying to find things that I wanted to watch, I, you know, I told, I said a couple of episodes ago that um, there were a couple of things that I wanted to watch that included black leads or was exclusively black people that were leading the thing. And so, on my list um, was the little thing because the little things because duh, Denzel, and then um, Malcolm and Maria, uh, Marie. Which girl, I'm not watching Malcolm and Marie now either because I didn't mess around and listen to. Well, read the reviews and, and listen to people on um, Black Twitter, uh, on my Twitter timeline anyway, um, talking about it. And no, thank you. It's another one of those things. Again, you put Black people in. I'm not finna watch a thing that was written by by white people voicing characters of Black people or voicing, char- voicing characters of people that are not a part of their culture. I'm just not finna do it. You're not going to get me to do it. I'm not going to spend my money on that because you could simply just get her an indigenous writer. You could simply just 
get an Asian diaspora writer, Latinx, Hispanic writer, black writer, a woman, and call it a doggone day girl. But you, because you want your shine and you got something to say, you want to put it through the lips of this black character or these other, these characters of color and pass it off as them, but it always comes off flat. And so what I'm hearing is Malcolm and Maria is very much coming off flat, very much the critiques. Long story short, Malcolm is a writer or a director of some sort. And I guess what a lot of folks are coming to the conclusion of is that a lot of the phrasing and a lot, well, not the phrasing, a lot of the sentiments that Malcolm, the character um, played by John Michael David, uh, Michael David, John Michael Washington, John David Washington, whatever, uh, Denzel's son. Um, a lot of the sentiments he's expressing feel like they're coming from Sam Livingston himself, which I got no time for that. I wanted to see Zendaya and I wanted to see John Michael Dave, uh, John Michael Washington, John David Washington, whatever. I wanted to see them. And so now that I'm hearing this, I'm looking at this trailer in a new light and it's looking real funny. Because there's an opening scene where uh, Malcolm is saying, something deprecating about uh, his partner, Marie. And then he says, I effing love you. And the way it came across, it didn't, it rang weird. It came across real funny to me. Like it didn't sound like this black character would say that in that way. To me, anyway. And so then when you read the reviews and then you, you hear other uh, other folks talking about it and I'm like hmm do I want to watch this thing do I and I think my ultimate conclusion is no girl I don't in fact want to watch it um and instead I will watch something else there's a lot of something else I might watch Bliss which has no black leads in it maybe I'll save it for another day because again I really like to see black women specifically if you really want to go there I like to see black leads black women in the leads um, on screen, but if it ain't good, it just ain't good. And I don't care who in the lead. Um, but I'm just, I'm just trying to feel my way around because some of these films, some of these films is just not doing the trick these days. So I think, I, I, I don't know. We'll see what I watch next week. Um, but now let's get to what I'm going to talk about today. I watched another two hour movie and it was another two hour movie that I don't think should have been two hours, could have got there in like an hour and 30, an hour and 45 at the most. But um, I still did like it. I just, I have so many feelings about this thing. I have so many feelings like about this thing. And so what I'm going to do, I'm going to do what I normally do. If you're new to the show, my normal is I go through and I talk about the reviews because I, I talk about what people are saying about it. I talk about, um, uh, all the particulars about who's starring in it and things like that. Give my thoughts about the movie. And then I just go in and I'm going to tell you right now, I'm probably going to spoil the mess out of this thing. I tend to spoil the mess out of these shows um, because I just can't help it. Sometimes you can't talk about one aspect of the show without spoiling something else to get to your conclusion. Um, that or I'm just lazy. Um, anyway, <laughs> um, so I'm going to, but what I wanted to say is that I want to talk about this thing in parts. I'm going to start in, in talking about it in the first half and then I'm going to talk about this thing in the second half because it's essentially, it's a two hour and seven minute movie, I think. So it's essentially two halves. First half is like the first hour and 10. Second half is the remaining, is the remaining bits of it. 
So I'm going to talk about it in that way. I'm going to talk about, I'm going to start by saying positive things and I'm just going to launch into the things that are just, it's just frustrating to me because I'm going to be honest with you. Um, um, did I say I like this film? I'm, I'm two ways about it. Yep. And maybe by the end of me reviewing it, I will have a conclusion or I will have a definitive I liked or I did not like answer. I just don't have it yet. Um, so anyway, in the next segment, um, I hope also my last episode was like two hours, almost two hours, and I'm not going to be here to do that. Well, I hope. And so anyway, <laughs> I'm going to try to be as succinct as possible getting to the, you know, the beginning, middle and end of this review. So just hang in there. Stay with me again. If you're brand new, thank you so much for listening. Um, I really appreciate you. Really, really appreciate you. Anyway. All right. So in the next segment, it's all about the particulars of the little things. Okay, let me get to the particulars. Um, All right, so The Little Things was released on January 29th of this year. It was directed by John Lee Hancock. Screenplay by John Lee Hancock. Cinematography by John Schwartzman. And the producers were John Lee Hancock and Mark Johnson. It stars primarily Denzel Washington as Deke, Jared Leto as Albert Sparma, which I didn't know his name. I, I, I mean, I'm sure that they said it, but it just, it wasn't memorable. Anyway, um, Rami Malik playing Detective Baxter. Now there are other folks in this um, film, but those are the three I'm going to focus on. And I want to go to right now the particulars. So because this thing was released in theaters and it's, I don't know if it's played domestically in theaters, but it's definitely been released in theaters and it's been out for a little bit. Um, There's some box office information. So um, the budget for this thing was 30 million. And um, I don't know the date on this thing, but at the moment it's grossed. 13.1 million. So it has not made what it put out, but maybe it's making it on an on-demand purchases. And that on-demand is a little slow in reporting, I guess. I don't really know, but this is not a a good return on investment. Um, Let me share this other thing then. So it has some mixed reviews um, and that's putting it mildly. Um, so it's 6.3 out of 10 on IMDb, 47% rotten fresh on Rotten Tomatoes, which essentially makes it rotten. Um, and 54% on Metacritic, which I really don't know what the heck Metacritic is. And I never really look. Um, and then 68% of Google users liked this movie. I don't know if I won yet, but anyway, so I'll go, I'll get into it. So I think, I think this is about the fairest, I think this is about the fairest and most accurate, um, review, 
well, the numbers here are about on par with what I feel about the film. I don't think it was terrible. I don't think it was great. And I still haven't figured out if I like the movie, which is probably indicative of these numbers here. Um, so let me share this. I, everybody's seen the trailer. Um, and it is a very suspenseful trailer. And they use... What I will say is I think this is the... This is what I'll say. While I can't say whether or not I like this film, there are certainly aspects of this thing that I like and there are certainly aspects of it that I don't like. What I will say is that I think this is one of... This is a great example of a bad use of wonderful, talented actors. Yeah. I, I feel firmly... I, I, I can commit to saying that. And I won't change my mind on that. This is not a good use of good actors. This is a bad use of good actors. Um, and so let me read this synopsis. So Deputy Sheriff Joe Deke Deacon joins forces with Sergeant Jim Baxter to search for a serial killer who's terrorizing Los Angeles. As they track the culprit, um, Baxter is unaware that the investigation is dredging up echoes of Deke's past, um, uncovering disturbing secrets that could threaten more than his case. Now see there... The problem with this synopsis, the problem with all synopsis is that you don't want to give too much away of the film before a person watches it. But at the same time, you want to tease good elements of the film to draw people in. Right. And I will say right off the bat that not only is this. This is misleading and misleading in a way that. If you were to read this and you have it like if you were to listen to this synopsis and you, then you go watch the thing, you would be frustrated because what this describes is definitely a different image than what the trailer describes. The trailer describes, um, you know, two cops, one that just can't, you know, he doesn't play by the rules. Um, well, a detective and a cop, a detective that used to be a cop, but can't, or maybe doesn't, maybe you don't know that he used to be a cop, but that he can't seem to advance his career because he gets stuck. He gets stuck on the politics of it all. And then you have this other detective guy who's got it figured out and they join forces and essentially, um, the guy that gets that gets stuck in the politics of it all and never advances pulls down the guy who's got it figured out. And so in this scenario, the trailer would have you assume that the officer that is, gets stuck in politics is Denzel's character, Deke, and um, and the shiny officer that gets trapped and pulled down um, into the mire of this whole case is uh, Detective Baxter played by, or is, is played by Robin Malik. That's not right either. That's not right either. Like, all of this is a lie, and I'm going to tell you why. There are elements of truth in here for sure, but that's a lie. And that's part of the reason probably why people, I don't know why other folks don't like it, but I imagine that's part of it. Um, or that's part of the reason why there's some trepidation, trepidation about, like, this film to begin with. So anyway, so let me, let me just, so what that, so I will, I will do first half, first hour and 10 of the film. And then the second half of the film. Um, 
this movie runtime, I don't think I mentioned it. I can't remember if I mentioned it in the uh, intro. Um, but this, the runtime on this thing is two hours and seven minutes. Um, and again, this thing should, could have been two hours and 30, 2.45 at most, at the most. So anyway, so we open. It's um, October 1990. And this whole film is set in the 90s, and you need to know that. Um, why it's set in the 90s, I don't know. If, it's, if this is based on a book, I don't know. If this is based on, a tr- it's not based on true events because they would have said it. Um, but anyway, this is set in 1990 for whatever reason. And it's set in Los Angeles. Um, and so the opening scene is a woman who's on the road. And she's on the road. And long story short, she's being chased by somebody in a fast car. She's in an old putt-putt even for 1990 standards. So she, maybe she's in like an old 80s car. Um, and she's in a putt-putt and she's clearly driving. She's by herself cry, cry, uh, driving across some desert place. Um, and this car is, is definitely not necessarily giving chase, but well, there's a point where it gives chase, but definitely she's being harassed by this person in this vehicle. She can't really, can't really tell who the person is. Anyway, so she smartly decides, you know what, well, let me pull off the road because I don't want to be on the road anymore. I'm in the middle of nowhere. The first chance I get, I'm going to pull over and I'm going to run into a a place for safety, um, a business for safety. Unfortunately, she pulls off and she she pulls off on the first um, opportunity she can to what looks to be something like a diner. Unfortunately, she gets there and the diner is closed. It is not open. And so she's, you, she's left running around this building, her car being the only car there, sitting duck essentially because from, the, di- from the, the distance from the front door of this thing to the road is maybe 100 feet, 200 feet. So not far off the road at all, um, maybe 300 feet, whatever the standard distance from the road a business has to be in country towns. You know what I mean? It's not super far away, but it's not super close. Um, anyway, but she's a sitting duck is the point. Um, her car is just there and she's running around this building trying to hide because she thinks this person, she's banging on the doors trying to be let in. Meanwhile, while she's banging on these doors, here comes creepy guy or creepy car. Cause again, you don't know who's after this person, this woman, you know, it's somebody who's clearly messing with her. And so so he, this person pulls up and then you realize it's something like a guy. I, I still don't think you see his face, but you, you get the sense that it's somebody in some utility clothing, like some, I keep saying utility in my head. It's just like maintenance person clothing. So like somebody that works on things. So work boots, like not necessarily construction, but like work boots and that material that like khaki but that's not khaki. It's like um, um, it's like a uniform. It clearly has something like a uniform on. And anyway, you still don't see his face. You just see that it's it's probably a male figure, probably. 
or male presenting figure. And anyway, so this person does what you think they do. They grab this person, this woman, and she's disappeared. And so then we flash forward and we get the sense that's another missing person. Um, And I don't think I truly got, I don't think I truly got that it was California. I think I knew it was the West. I knew it was the Southwest. And I was assuming perhaps that it was like Arizona. Um, I don't think I got that it was California until like midway into the thing, if I'm honest. Anyway, excuse me. Anyway, um, and so we meet Deke. Deke is talking to his animal. He's living alone. He's, you know, a little over, he looks to be a little overweight and just kind of pudgy but content. Um, We see him in the station He has a dog. This is what we know. We know he has a dog. We know he lives alone. Um, And you get the sense that perhaps, you know, there's more there. Like, you know, the the old trope that he's got an ex-wife and, you know, kids and stuff like this. But you're not introduced to that just yet. But you see this single man and he's at work and he's um, basically he's he's a cop like anybody other cop and he's told to like he's trying to run down an end for a case and his captain or lieutenant I I apologize I don't know the rankings somebody that is his boss um he meets with him and his boss is like yeah you gotta go to LA and Deke is trying to get out of it um he's like no I don't have to do that you know no there's nobody else to go do it for you. And it's, and it's, maybe it's his captain. I don't know. His captain is like, nah, you, you gotta go. There's no one else. You gotta go. And in giving Deke this assignment, it's clear that they both know that Deke doesn't want to go to LA and that his boss, whatever the ranking doesn't want to do this to him, but he's got a job to do. He's got to go. There's a case that they're trying to crack. And it, there's a short window where, you know, the case is going to court in the morning or whatever in less than 24 hours or in 24 hours. So he's got to go to L.A. and back. Um, to, he's got to go to L.A. to retrieve this information and then come back so that the trial can be finished. Um, so it's got to happen. And so Deke knows that it's got to happen, but he just doesn't want to go to L.A. And his captain doesn't want to send him to L.A., but he's, he's got no one else. So Deke is going to L.A. Um, and you get the sense that something is waiting for him in L.A. He's been dreading being going back to L.A. for whatever reason. Um, and so, yeah, so we, we, get, we see Deke make his journey to L.A. And I'm going to be honest with you. Again, this is a long film. So even what I've just described is really like 30 minutes of the film. 30 minutes, almost 40 minutes of the doggone film is the start and then him getting to L.A. That's like a long time. And I don't need I don't know that we needed that much time for him to get to L.A. We could have gotten there a little bit differently, but here we are. So anyway, he finds himself in L.A. and 
it's clear he knows where he's going when he goes to the LAPD. He, he literally has to go to LA and he goes to this particular precinct and he, it's like he's home, right? He, he knows where to park. He's, he's greeting people. Folks are looking like they've seen a ghost. Um, you know, he's, he's known and everybody has the same look like, oh shoot. Hey, like everybody knows, like everybody's aware that it's weird that Deke is here. Deke is aware that it's weird that he's here. Nevertheless, he's got a job to do. Um, so he's coming up there to get the, the, the evidence that he's looking for, for his particular case. And he finds his way to the captain there. And again, I don't know if it's a captain or lieutenant. I, the, the rankings are all over the place in my mind. It's scrambled. I wasn't really paying attention, if I'm honest. Anyway, um, so he runs into the captain who apparently wasn't a captain at the time. Well, no, we don't know this. I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself. Um, so anyway, he runs into the captain and it's a bad interaction. Basically, the captain is like, get your, do your, handle your business and get, some, get you some gone. Like, I don't want you here any longer than you need to be here. And this is in the midst of deep trying to catch up. Like, Hey, how you doing? Like he's trying to greet him. And old dude was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Later for that. I'm not really feeling you right now. Um, you shouldn't be here no more. You gotta go. Um, and so, yeah. So while they're having this weird tense exchange, I guess I didn't know how police departments were set up because uh, we are intro- there, there's a press conference happening. And in this press conference, this press conference is happening right outside the captain's door, which I've never been on the inside of police station. I, I, t- I take that back. That's not true. I have been inside the, I have been down to uh, police plaza one um, in Baltimore because I was there for a meeting. So I have been inside headquarters Baltimore City Police Headquarters. I think that's what that is. Right there off Pratt and, uh, what's that, Saratoga? Anyway, um, anyway, I've been inside of there, but I've, it's huge. Well, let me just tell you, it's huge and honking. Like, and I think I was on the business end. I don't know. I really, I couldn't tell you where I was apart from I was in that that plaza. And I remember going up and there's a bunch of offices and things like that. I'm quite sure... The building, I guess what I want to say is the building is large enough that there is a space. I could appreciate that there's a space, like a theater, for you to have press conferences. Um, And I can't remember what floor I was on, but I was up several floors when I went into the station. Or, girl, I don't know. I don't know where I was. Headquarters? Headquarters. We're just going to call it BCPD headquarters. Anyway, I was up several floors And I remember it looked like any other office building that I've ever been in where, you know, the head honcho's desk is around here somewhere or the division chief's desk is around here somewhere. Office, not desk. Office is around here somewhere. And you got a bunch of cubicles and then you got conference rooms. And so the meeting where we where I was where I had my meeting was in the conference room Um, on this particular floor and blah, blah, blah. and, And I'm pretty sure I was talking to a bunch of detectives. Right. Because you don't wear your you, you if you're a detective, you don't wear your uniform. If you aren't a detective, you do wear your uniform. So the people that we were talking to did not have their uniforms on. 
So it also could be that they were somebody else. I'm pretty sure one of the people in there was HR. Anyway, um, but anyway, we're, I was on there for business. So, but I guess what I'm trying to say is the point at which we are in the story, we're about 45 minutes in, um, and Deke is having this weird exchange with his with the captain, which you know that they were connected somehow. They work together. You just don't know exactly how at this point. And outside of his, the, the captain's office is essentially, you know how this, the modern design offices are where the, the head honcho's office is now all glass. So it's like they got the corner office, but it's all glass, including the door. And this is essentially what most of it, the, most of the walls, that the front facing walls, or at least the exterior wall and the door out to the cubicles that they're presiding over is glass. And so got that design on it. And anyway, so Deke is in there and he sees this press conference happening. And this is where we're introduced to uh, Detective Baxter, played by Rami Malek. Anyway, and so Detective Baxter is up there doing his thing, talking about, I think when this is how it happens. So Deke is walking past the Deke is walking past the press conference to get to his old buddy, who is now the captain. And you, we hear Rami Malik talking or Detective Baxter talking and basically saying, we're going to find them. We don't have any evidence and blasted the blue, blue, blue. Anyway. Um, so Deke is in there and he has this weird exchange with the captain. Captain's like, you better be gone in 24 hours. And, and Deke, at the end of it, Deke is like, yeah, yeah, yeah I'm, I'm finna be gone. I ain't gonna be here no more. And anyway, so Deke leaves out and he stops and listens to the press, uh, to this press conference a little bit. And you've got Detective Baxter up there just doing his due, you know, looking shiny and, and like he's in charge and whatnot. And then Deke leans over to one of the people that looks like a reporter and says something while Detective Baxter is talking. Detective Baxter is notices this exchange, or at least we get the sense that Detective Baxter notices this exchange, and um, but continues with the conference anyway. And then the reporter, or who we, we assume to be the reporter, after he finishes uh, talking with uh, Deke, asks the question, some question like, but you still don't have... Something that basically is contrary to the strength that um, Detective Baxter is trying to project. Like, Detective Baxter is like, we're, we're on this. We, we've got to read on, you know, what's happening here. And basically the, the reporter, assumingly being um, geeked up by Deke, asks a question that makes Detective Baxter have to say the contrary to what he just said. Basically, no, we don't have all the evidence, actually, so we really don't know what we're dealing with. It makes him say something along those lines. And, of course, in that moment, you you begin to understand, okay, so this is part of the reason why uh, Deke is no longer here, because he's a little bit of a know-it-all, right? Or at least that was my, that was my assumption, that he just likes shaking stuff up, and he's a little bit of a know-it-all. And so anyway, so Detective Baxter has this moment where he's just like, you punk. And he says, you know, finishes the conference and Deke goes on about his business. And they have this exchange later 
because Deke is not quite gone yet because he's still doing his tour. So he essentially he got his evidence and now he's going around doing his tour, seeing all, seeing all the people that he used to know. And so, so he's going around, you know, seeing old people and we're getting tidbits. We're getting tidbits of, of why, like exactly what happened, why he's not here anymore. We learn that he, that uh, Deke was a detective, but something happened. And he was the best of the best, by the way, but something happened. Because again, while he's going around here doing his um, reunion tour, it's clear that, ev- that the people that are looking at him sideways, like, why are you here? Are also like, man, you were the best of the best. So anyway, so we get the sense that he's, he's not an LAPD anymore because of something he did, not because of his lack of ambition or talent. Um, and so anyway, so he's, you know, doing his tour. He's out saying his welcome. You know, it, it, he's, it's feeling like he's out saying his welcome. And he runs into Detective Baxter and Detective Baxter is like, so way to go, way to make me look like a chump up there. And basically, I can't even remember at this point, we're approaching like 50 minutes, man. We're like 50 minutes to an hour um, of this thing. And then we, you know, so Deke says something, um, something like, yeah, well, you know, everybody's bright and shiny. Um, but, you know, you just got to be careful. You don't know everything. And so he's saying this, and he's saying this right after um, Detective Baxter is like, you sold me out there, but at the same time, you used to be famous. You, you know, used to be the best of the best around here. Um, and then, you know, Detective um, or Baxter has said that. And then Deke is like, yeah, yeah, well, you got to be on your toes. And I'm just a regular officer now. Regular officer down. And I forgot even the county where he's supposed to be a deputy. He's not even a sheriff. He's a deputy. That's how far, far he's tumbled. So you get the sense he was detective in the LAPD, one of the largest police forces and the most prestigious, arguably, police force in the country. And now he's just uh, some deputy, some podunk in some podunk town. And so, yeah, so again, the first hour, we're really just seeing, we spent a lot of time with Deke. Even though there are murders happening, even though there are women miss coming up missing, there's clearly... It appears to be a serial killer out there. We're spending all this time getting to know Deke. And okay. And then somehow or another, and I think somehow or another, Deke, can't, Deke starts getting more information. He starts looking into the case that Detective Baxter is working on. And somehow or another, he begins to worm his way into conversations, worm his way to crime scenes, which as a layperson, is that possible? I mean, probably, you know, if, with this whole buddy system that police officers tend to work with, maybe. But like, that seems messy. Like, this is my case. This this my this my stomping ground. You got evidence. You got a case that's similar to my case in your jurisdiction. Let's have coffee, but don't come on my crime scene. Let me show, I'll show you later. You're not going to come up in my space. That's essentially like inviting somebody else onto your project. Somebody invite somebody else into your project and, um, you know, like oh, you're heading up a project 
and you invite another project, you're a project manager and you invite another project manager to come in and start walking around and looking at taking a look at your project. Nah, wait, we can talk later. You're not finna come around here now. We can talk much later and not on the job. Um, or at least if we're going to be talking in a business capacity, it's going to be in a, in a different setting altogether because we're going to be on the same page on this thing. Anyway, yeah, like you're not finna muddy is what I'm saying. You're not finna muddy my, my work because you nosy, right? We're going to work together if we got similar cases or you're going to go on about your business, which is what Detective Baxter should have told um, Deke, but you know, I ain't happened. So anyway, so long story short, so Deke goes back, um, drops off the evidence or no, no, no. So he, the, remember he was there to get evidence and it, he was just poking his head around. He's like, Oh, I'm going to be gone anyway. I got to get back for this court case. Well, he, he's on his way back and he calls his captain and his captain was like, nah, they settled. It's cool. You don't, we don't need the evidence. And so basically he sent Deke up there for nothing. Deke went up to LA for nothing. And so I get the sense that, or, and maybe this was intentional, but we get the sense that, well, Deke is up here now. So he going to get his money's worth. Like he going, he going to really spend some time. So he, he purposes to spend a little bit more time with Detective Baxter helping him out. And so they literally all of a sudden become a little bit buddy-buddy because Detective Baxter, it's clear that Detective Baxter really does admire um, Deke's work. And I think even at one point he said he, he modeled his career after him or something like that. Something, some, something to that effect. Like I've modeled some of my behaviors after you, some of them, not all of them clearly, because again, we're alluding to the fact that something bad happened. Um, with Deke. But nevertheless, Baxter is, you know, inviting Deke into these crime scenes where another woman has been taken in a very similar way that we find out that one of Deke's old cases that he never, in the same way that one of his old cases went down and that he never actually solved. And so, so Deke becomes, Deke starts finding starts essentially working the case that um, Baxter has invited him to review or at least tag along with him and starts basically finding things that other people aren't finding simply because, number one, this is similar to the case that he never solved. Number two, Deke is um, pretty thorough. What we come to know is it's not that he's, it's, he's thorough, but he's thorough because he's obsessed with completing this. Um, and it's an hour and 10 in where we learn that Deke's obsession, or at least his attention to detail helps Baxter and his team locate a suspect that of interest, a person of interest, um, in this latest, um, murder that they've, that they're working, um, in, in what appears to be a serial um, or a series. And so an hour and 10 minutes into the film, no joke, an hour. So 30, so we're introduced to Deke early, 30 to 40 minutes later, we're introduced. mm, Yeah. 30 to 40 minutes later, we're introduced to Baxter an hour and 10 minutes into the film. 
we're introduced finally to Jared Leto's character as like a utility guy. And, and his name is Albert Sparma. But again, I just, that name didn't resonate with me at all. It, it didn't stick out, stick out to me in the slightest. Um, and so we're introduced to him and then the movie takes a turn. But before we talk about the turn, what I do want to say is this. They got Rami Malek playing a, a, a... His last name is Baxter. They're not saying he's Latinx, but his wife is Latinx and his kids look Latinx too. And I'm like, now how are you going to play this, this clearly Ethiopian... Well, he's Egyptian. He's Egyptian and uh, white American. Yeah, I think that's his parentage. Anyway, but he's definitely Egyptian. And by the way, let me just pause right here. So Rami Malek is handsome, but like in a kind of weird way to me. But his twin, his, because his, whereas Rami Malek is a little thin and has got like hollow cheekbones. So like he's handsome, but he's a little goofy looking to me. His twin does not have hollow cheekbones and he's a little thicker. Um, somebody said he, he got all the nutrients in the womb. And anyway, yummy is what his twin looks like, or at least it's what I, it's been a minute since I've seen pictures. So anyway, but anyway, but anyway, but the, I guess my point is not to lust after the, his twin, but, uh, <laughs> but, um, they're clearly Egyptian American, Egyptian and white American, right? Like that's this parentage. Um, but they got him playing. Like, I really hate when they do that. I really, I cannot stand it. So he's like, you know how they have uh, Jennifer Lopez, Lopez playing the TV Italian? Um, I, that's what uh, <laughs> Jay says uh, on um, Tea with Queen and Jay, that she's a TV Italian. I'm like, y- you could simply just say, like, it's not going to be too weird to... I don't know. Like they don't, I guess they don't talk about his parentage, but his wife is definitely Latinx or Hispanic, right? Uh, what's the, the actress, the actress that plays his wife. Hold on. Let me go to them. The actress that plays his wife is Natalie Morales. She definitely looks like she's Latinx. Latinx is Hispanic. Definitely look like, looks like that. So I don't know what they're trying to do here other than they're trying to put two brown people together, but it's like, well, what is my real problem? I guess I just, well, I mean, he, what is my problem? I don't think I have one. I don't think I have one because it's not like they played him like he's a white character. Although, although, no, 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 they don't play him like a white character. Never mind. Let me shut up. Anyway, I, just, I do appreciate that his wife was brown and that his little kids were brown because you know how they love to put brown uh, people especially brown lead characters with, um, they don't enjoy putting them with other brown people. Um, anyway, so let me shut up though. Um, no, this is what I was going to say. I guess that, I guess I got the sense that they were trying to pass him off as Latinx, but I think that was just me drawing to leaping to that conclusion because his wife was clearly Latinx and his kids were brown too. Anyway, but that I think that's why I went jump leapt to that conclusion, but I'll leave it. Anyway, um but yeah, so you know, we we've got this kind of buddy thing happening between Baxter and Deke, and they run up on 
Sparma. They run up on Sparma, who looks, man, when Jared Leto plays a character, he commits because he looks like a creep. He looks, his hair is stringy looking, it's greasy. He looks like a creep, like a creep creep, like there's nothing attractive about him here. If you thought Jared Leto was attractive, there's nothing attractive about him in this, in this, uh, in this film, nothing, nothing at all. And so he begins to play what I believe is a very good creep, a very good creep that ultimately ends hollow. And so I'll get into what I mean in a second, but I'm going to take a break. Okay, so I'm back from my break and I realized that I missed something. Before we got to, um, we get to Deke and Baxter and Sparma meeting each other and that scene that you saw in the trailer where um, they're in the interrogation room. What I missed was in addition to Um, looking at a crime scene that was similar to a crime scene or a crime that Deke was trying to work um, back in the day. What you need to know is that another woman is abducted. Just like the woman that was abducted um, at the beginning of the film, right? Right. So she's taken while she's running, too, which is the really crappy part. And yeah, so that's that's one more case that um, Baxter has. And Deke is aware of it because at this point, Deke has been invited by Baxter to in on the case. Because, again, um, you know, he's a, Baxter knows the legend of Deke, right? He knows the legend of Deke. He knows how brilliant of a detective everyone thought he was. And in the middle of the, like right before, right before uh, Deacon Baxter bring in Sparma because Deacon has been on to Sparma at this point. Baxter has a conversation with his detective, um, which I just looked up as as detective (laughs) or the the captain, it's Ferris. Um, And and I don't know the actor that plays it because I didn't tell you that. And I'm just going to leave it there. But anyway, so his captain. We'll just go back to captain. His captain pulls him in and in no certain terms says, you know what? You, you following after you following after Deke. But what you don't know is his obsession with cases. He worked himself so tough that he worked himself into a, vor- a divorce and a heart attack. And... I think the captain was telling him this, telling Baxter this as a way to kind of give him a reality check. 
obviously, you know, it didn't work, right? Because he continues to um, follow behind um, Deke. Because again, what we're learning, even though it took us a minute to get get to him, what we're learning is that Baxter is essentially a prototype of Deke. Very brilliant, very driven, um, a prototype of Deke, you know. And so, you know, there's this warning shot that goes off. And then here's the other thing. So the other thing that I missed was that the cases are mounting, right? So we had the one case where Baxter took Deke um, on and viewed the crime scene. And then we have another woman who's a jogger that comes up missing. And so, and that's a, that's a whole thing. And and we're to believe, actually, let me just pause here for a second. The timeline on this thing is wrong too, or at least it feels short to me because what we're told is that ultimately, well, am I jumping the gun? Okay, well, no, I will just say this. So we know that Deke was up there. Deke was in LA for 24 hours working a case, right? We know that. That was like the whole premise. And that was the whole thing. Like he was even relieved that he knew he wasn't going to be there very long. And then when it turned out that he had his opportunity to come back, he decided... Oh, I am jumping the gun, but well, let me just say this. He decided that he wanted to um, stay, take his vacation and stay a couple of days and be back by Monday. So I'm assuming it's midweek. It's midweek and he's got like five or six days. And then on that fifth or sixth day, it's going to be Monday and he's going to be back at work because that's what his... Um, His uh, uh, boss, the captain, um, was told, right? But I guess I'm just confused because two murders happened. Two murders happened with the same MO in that time frame. And then we we go on this wild goose chase where we're interviewing. We're interviewing Sparma. We're searching. We're staking people out and stuff like this. Like all of this stuff happens. And I'm just like... The timeline on this, maybe I'm naive because I just genuinely don't know the the how long it takes to investigate a thing. Maybe, you know, the show First 48, I don't know if you get that in the UK, but there's this 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 crime show in the in the United States called The First 48. I don't watch it anymore because it was just too much for me. But um it literally is built around the fact that detectives when they catch a case, that is to say, when someone is, some harm comes to someone, some horrific crime happens, they usually have 48 hours. They have a 48 hour window. Excuse me, I don't know why I'm yawning. But anyway, um, they have a 48 hour window to catch the, get all the clues and catch the killer otherwise or the perpetrator or the suspect otherwise it's harder to close a case 
if you let it sit longer than 48 hours or not sit but if it takes you longer than 48 hours to solve a case you're like you're not likely to solve it and probably that's largely due to the things still being fresh people not having time to make up stories that stick you being able to engage people who don't know that they might have been privy or had access to someone who was a victim or someone who was the perpetrator and so you you have more opportunity to engage more people who will ultimately give you breadcrumbs that will lead you back to the suspect anyway so I don't know if they're using that principle because I really and I barely looked I gotta be honest with you I barely looked to check the timeline but it just feels to me a little rushed even though this thing was two hours and seven minutes so anyway um I'll I'll so I'm gonna head back to the uh interrogation room where you saw Baxter Sparma and Deke but before just so you know what led up to that was the investigation or Deke being on the crime scene and seeing things that Baxter didn't see and I already said that and then another woman disappearing in LA um same kind of MO like she's disappeared um and yeah and so then so Deke leads Baxter to Sparma who he likes for these this uh, as the perpetrator of all this series of of murders and so they pull him in they pull him in to the um the police station and they they interrogate him and again that's the scene that you saw in the um in the trailer and then the scene where you see Deke basically in Sparma's face happens about five minutes in and it's supposed to represent a decent amount of time where Baxter and and Baxter and Deke are spending are are just kind of spinning their wheels kind of talking to this talking to Sparma getting him to confess um and in this process, you see that, like up until this, like at this point, you think, you're like, not only is this is Parma guilty, but like he's sadistic. This guy is a psychopath and he's like, it's like he gives you, and I don't know if you guys are, anyway, I don't, so again, every, I, I, I've shared before, and I'm stuttering, I shared before that I I do true crime, but it's not because it's true crime. I do it in the context of, I just generally like, I genuinely enjoy stories. Enjoy is a strong word. Um, I'm intrigued by stories of not necessarily the serial killers themselves, but like, what was happening in the time frame? What was happening that allowed them to get away with all of this? What was the climate? Um, what was the police response? What was the community's response to all of this? And so y'all know BTK, right? Bind, torture, kill. That uh, serial um, 
that sadistic monster of a person who's a person nonetheless, not a monster, not a mythical creature, but a person um, who was terrorizing Wichita, Kansas forever, right? I told you my mama's side of the family is from Wichita, Kansas. And while I didn't necessarily talk about BTK, I've always been interested since BTK was captured, I've been interested in that story because it's not exactly as if the where the the people um, who were the victims of this person they weren't very far from where my mama and her people grew up in their stomping grounds, not far at all. Um, and I always found it interesting who he chose. Even though the guy says it's completely random, and I, it probably was, I'm sure there's an element of it that was completely random. It just feels like there has to be more than that. And maybe there was. Or maybe there wasn't. But anyway, so it's just interest. It, it's interesting to me that a town that is not very big at all, Wichita is not humongous. It's not. But as, as you know, it's still clearly it's still large enough for people to kind of have a serial killer on the loose and still not be able to track that person down um, until decades later. But anyway, I'm bringing up BTK because BTK for the most part was pretty clever. And even though it was battling demons of his own and definitely sadistic and depraved still very much was in tune with what he what he felt he could get away with and what he felt he couldn't do and it was very meticulous in planning and all of that stuff and and stalked his potential victims however he chose them whenever he did finally choose them he stalked them for a long period of time to make sure that everything was perfect for the crime that he was about to commit And so in looking at Sparma and engaging in that conversation or him engaging with that conversation with Baxter and Deke, um, you get the sense a person like me. And even if you're not into true crime like that and you're just you're just watching the film, you're thinking, man, this guy is the worst of the worst and they might just have him. But, you know, it's the middle of the film. Or it's like towards the, you know, it's like we at least got 30, 40 minutes left. So it can't be that easy that he would just sit here and confess, right? And so, of course, not only does he not confess, but he says he didn't do it. And then then the scene where you see Deke in Sparma's face is when Sparma says he didn't do it. And, um... Or he he says something kind of contradictory, and it's at this point he's clear that it's clear that um, Deke thinks that Sparma is playing with him and Baxter, and that they're in this thing too deep. But that Sparma is uh, that um, Baxter pulls Deke away from Sparma because Deke is really in his face, and what you don't see in the trailer is that you know. Uh, Deke is punching the wall right next to Sparma's face like it's, it's that intense and so um, Baxter's partner comes in and, and they break the thing up and then 
Baxter is told by his boss that, oh yeah, this is enough. The, um, the DEA or the, the feds are coming in. And actually the Baxter was told, was Baxter told before, before they pulled, um, Sparma in or not? I can't call it. But, um, Baxter is put on a timetable. He's got a week, which coincides with, um, with Deke's vacation before the FBI comes in to try to solve this case. And, and, and Baxter also learns that Sparma, that confession in, or that confession that he didn't do it, that weird exchange that they had in the, um, in the interrogation room. I don't know why I couldn't remember uh, what that room was called. But anyway, that weird exchange was because, and and um, Baxter's captain and his his um, his partner let them in, let him in on this little secret. Sparma um, is a crime junkie and likes to confess to things, but Baxter doesn't buy it, of course. Again, because he's like a dog with a bone. He's like, nah, this has got to be it. I like him for this. So, you know, he's, he's, he's my suspect. He's the guy, he's the guy and I'm going to catch him. And so of course they have to release, they have to release him. Um, is there anything else significant before we move on? No, not really. Like there's a lot of things. There's a lot of little things that are happening in here, which huh, pun intended, um, that you're supposed to be paying attention to, but ultimately it just gets tedious after a while. And so we move to the place fast forward where they have to let Sparma go. But of course, you know, Deke and Baxter aren't going to do that. So what do they get the bright idea to do? They're going to tail Sparma. They're going to tail him and they're going to sit up. They're going to, they're going to an investigation and watch his house. What is it? What is it? Stakeout. They're going to do a stakeout of his apartment. And they literally sit there for hours. It's clear that it's over. Like, it's a long period of time and it's overnight too. Um, and so they're staking him out. And then Baxter, dis- or Sparma leaves his home. And well, it's, it's, sorry, they start staking him out during the day and he leaves his home and he goes to um, the strip hub, the strip club. And I think they're actually tailing him for days, for a couple of days. Um, and so on the first day, goes to a strip club and they're like, OK, cool, cool, cool. This is weird. And he stays there for hours, P.S. And then he goes home. And then... Um, after hours, this weird thing happens. Well, not even this weird thing. I think this real thing where you've got two people who are trying to stake the, stake a person out and stay up all day and all night to try to catch this person leaving, I'm guessing to commit another crime and they want to catch him in the act anyway, but they're dog tired. They haven't slept well. They haven't been eating. And, you know, they're at their wit's end. So Deke 
gets out, he decides he's going to go get some coffee. So he gets out and goes to a corner store and goes to, oh, no, no, no. Let me, let me back up. Let me back up. So on one of the nights where they're, the first night where they're, um, stalking him, he leaves, they're taking him out. Uh, Sparma leaves his house and Deke decides he wants to go into the house to sniff around. And so the reason why he leaves is because Baxter decides that he wants to get coffee with him. So he lures, he lures Sparma out to this cafe that you get the sense that the cafe is decently far enough away that it would take some time. It, it would, it would buy, uh, Deke enough time to get in, snoop around and get out before, um, Sparma came back. Now, of course, obviously Baxter has no intention of showing up to this meeting, but he calls it anyway. And so Sparma leaves and he goes to a particular diner, um, and waits. Ooh, I did it again. Um, waits for Baxter to arrive. And again, you know, he's never going to arrive. Meanwhile, Deke is in, um, Sparma's apartment and long story short, he's nosing around and comes to this trap door that has this box of newspaper clippings in it. And so this is supposed to symbolize Sparma's obsession with crime, number one, but then also the crime clippings that, that, uh, um, Deke sees are of the series, are of the serial, uh, the folk, the victims of the serial killer, the write-ups of the people who've been, the women who've been terrorized in these, um, in this series of murders and missing people. <clears throat> so, so while Deke is in there, um, we see a flashback of Sparma calling, asking for the phone because it's it's not clear how long he's sitting in this place waiting for Baxter but it's also clear that Sparma is not putting it past Baxter to just have called him to get him out of the house so he asked for the phone and then what happens the SWAT team comes up there's a bunch of helicopters and or maybe not helicopters but a bunch of you know, uh, police officers dressed in paramilitary equipment and, and, you know, they come to, um, Sparma's apartment while Deke is still in it. And Baxter is sitting in the car, uh, like a block away, but still very able to see the the perfect line of sight of Sparma's apartment. So he sees the police swarming on the apartment. You also see Deke on the rooftop now. So this, and we're also supposed to believe that this 50-something, close to 60-something-year-old man is able to scale up to a rooftop on a second-floor apartment, basically, of two floors. It's like a two-story apartment building or something like a house that's been... It's like a duplex. And he's somehow been able to scale up to the roof, which I don't buy, but whatever. Um, anyway, so Deke is on this rooftop and he's trying to leave, you know, get, go back down on the other side of the house. And we're also supposed to believe that when the SWAT team comes in, that they don't have a ca- uh, helicopter and that there's nobody going to be in the alley that would see Deke crawling off the backside of the house's roof, but whatever, that's what we, that's what happened. 
Um, so anyway, so of course Deke escapes and, and, uh, Baxter is about to go pick up, uh, Deke on the other side of the house. And then he sees Sparma and he sees that Sparma was the one that called it in and they make this, they have eye contact, but then Baxter leaves to go get Deke and he gets Deke. And so they're back to the drawing board. And so the next night Sparma is, um, back in his house. Um, takes him on a wild goose trace while where Sparma has a car, but he decides he wants to get on a bus. And so they're following him all day on this bus going, finally going to the strip club, spends all day into the night at the strip club. And then he gets back on the bus to go back home. And so they're staking him out for a second night. And in on this, it's at on the second night where they're dog tired. They haven't gotten much sleep. They're probably funky and they definitely haven't been eating well. Anyway, so Deke decides he wants to go get some coffee because they're dog tired and they're, you know, they can't even do the, the staying up in rotations because they're both just dog tired. So Deke leaves to go get coffee. And it's at this point where Deke is gone getting coffee that Sparma comes out and gets in his car and just sits there and... Baxter has an exchange or does that have long story short, they have an exchange where Baxter is like, uh, where, where Sparma is like, come on, I'm gonna show you where the bodies are. And Baxter leaves his car, gets in the car with Sparma and they drive off. And of course, you know, Deke is coming back with the coffee and sees, uh, Baxter in the car with Sparma and as they drive off. And of course he drops his coffee and then he gets in the car to try to follow them. And long story short, Sparma takes Baxter to this countryside outside of the L.A. city into this countryside. And Deke, somehow or another, is very several car lengths behind him, but is able to keep chase and figures out where he like to always seems to take the right exits and basically follows them. Right. And. But it's not so close that that Sparma and Baxter can't have in a, an intimate moment where Sparma basically takes him to this abandoned field, empty field, and says, I, I buried XYZ person here. Um, the latest, the latest victim here. And it's the dead of night. And Baxter instructs, um, does Baxter instruct Sparma to start digging? No, um, Baxter starts digging and I'm thinking you a fool because if it were me, I would hop in the car and leave you. But anyway, so Sparma, Sparma has Baxter dig and in this one spot and then there's nothing. And so he's like, oh no, no, no. I keep forgetting. There's a lot of land here. It's over here. And so Baxter digs another hole. Again, he's trying to find he is convinced, partly because of of um, Deke, but partly also because of his own obsession, that Sparma is guilty, and that he's going to find this body and he's going to put these families' mind at, at rest. But what we come to know is, Sparma has been messing with him. Sparma has been messing with him. He really doesn't know he. He doesn't know where these people are because he didn't do it, is what he says. He confesses, I didn't do any of this. 
You just wanted to believe that I did. I didn't do any of this. I told you before. I didn't do any of this. I don't know these people. I didn't. And then we're reminded again that, I mean, the movie doesn't do this, but you're, I'm reminded that again at the middle of the film, um, Baxter's captain says this guy came in and confessed to a murder he actually did not commit because he's a, tri- a crime junkie, which apparently is a thing that people will go into police stations and uh, and give details about crimes they didn't commit because it's a thrill for them, I guess. Anyway, so Sparma, he's like, I didn't do this. You wanted me to, you wanted to, you wanted me to do this so bad, but I didn't actually do this. And so in a rage, Baxter, little sleep, super tired because he's been digging these holes, been staying up, following him and still come up with nothing, takes the shovel that he's digging these graves with and clocks Sparma. Sparma falls and Sparma falls silent. Sparma's dead. And so Deke, again, Deke comes in in the nick of time. Uh, Well, maybe not the nick of time, like some time has passed. And anyway, Sparma's laying on the ground and Baxter's still digging. And Deke comes up and we know what it is. Deke knows what it is. This guy's dead. This case is done. We got to, we got to, he goes into work mode trying to solve the issue that they have now with this dead person. And he's trying to get Baxter to snap out of it. Baxter's like, nah, 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 this can't be for nothing. And, but, but, uh, Deke is like, nah, 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 it's done now. You don't have a case anymore. And in fact, you got to forget about this whole case. You got to forget about all of this. And now we just gotta, we just gotta move forward. So deconstructs uh, Baxter to fill up all the holes that he dug and put Baxter in a hole while, um, Deke takes, uh, while he, I mean, again, it's very clear what he's about to do. He's about to help cover up this murder. So he's going to go ditch, uh, Sparma's car and go do all the things that a police officer would do when he's, they're trying to cover up a crime. Um, which gives you pause because if anybody were for the most part going to be able to successfully get away with crimes, it would be police officers because they investigate crimes, specifically detectives because they investigate crimes. They would know how to get away with a crime because they investigate crimes all the time. Anyway, so we quickly see Deke go through a whole lot of trouble getting rid of Sparma's car, going to Sparma's apartment, getting rid of everything in his apartment and loading it up in his own vehicle. And he's on his way back to get, he he goes back to get Baxter and finds that Baxter did not, in fact, bury Sparma. Sparma's still laying out on the ground and it's day, it's getting daylight. And Baxter is has dug more holes because again, he's obsessed with trying to find these missing people. And of course he doesn't. So uh, Deke puts Deke um, puts uh, Sparma in the ground, and then he fills up all the holes. And then 
takes Sparma, I mean, it takes um, Baxter back home and says, forget this. You just need to forget all about this. And in the process of doing all of this, let me just back up for our taste. In the process of doing all of this, we learn what the real reason why or the reason why um, Deke is no longer a detective with the L.A. police no longer detective, why he got divorced and why he had a heart attack. It's because in Deke's obsession with trying to solve all of these cases, he accidentally killed one of the people he was trying to save. And that messed him up. And not only that, but then the, the, the uh, captain who is now Baxter's captain and one of their forensic um, pathologist or coroner friends helped cover up the murder for Deke. And that's what sent him over the edge. And so I think, if I'm not mistaken, one of the cases that was haunting him one of the one, the last case was the one that he shot, but he never found out who, who took her. And so he wanted, I guess as a way to redeem himself, he wanted to pin it on, he, he wanted to pin it on Sparma. He wanted to pin it on the, the serial killer, the, the guy, the serial stalker, abductor, and sometimes killer, I guess. Yeah. So, but we, so we get this flashback and, and we see that history is repeating itself it's starting to repeat itself. Uh, Baxter has a family. Baxter has kids. And, and um, Deke doesn't want Baxter to lose that like he lost it. So, so the cover-up happens. Deke goes back to his place with all of the stuff um, in his car. He tells, he tells um Baxter, you're going to tell your captain you need a couple of days that you're done with this case and that you just needed a couple of days to decompress. Um, you're going to go on vacation to decompress. You're going to go home and you're going to shake this loose. You're going to get this, you're going to get this out of your hair. You're going to get this out of your, uh, you're, you're going to get this out of your system. And so we see Baxter at home. Um, and then, yeah, we see Baxter at home and he's kind of looking like a space cadet. His wife recognizes that he's a space cadet and that he's just trying to get back to normal, whatever normal is. His kids even see, his his two girls, little girls even see that he's a space cadet. He's just, he's just there. Um, but they don't know why he's out of it, but they just know that he's out of it. And you get the sense that it's going to be a long, hard road and that it's going to take everything that Baxter has to come back from this moment. And how do you come back from a moment where you killed a person and then you helped cover up the fact that you killed them? Yep. But anyway, but that's, that's this movie posits that that's something that Baxter's going to have to figure out. Um, anyway, so we see this, we, we get, uh, Baxter's, Baxter's, um, partner comes and brings him this package and it's a package that, he finally opens and it's a beret, a barrette, not a beret, but a barrette um, that um, is supposed to symbolize it, it. Basically, the reason the significance of the barrette is because uh, one of the last victim, the jogger victim who who um, got abducted was wearing a red barrette. It was her favorite. 
and her parents said that came to the, the police station and said that. And so in this box of things or in this envelope was a red barrette. And so it was mailed from Deacon. And so we're to assume that in all the stuff that Deke got from Sparma's apartment, that in the stuff was the red barrette. And so we get the sense that Baxter thinks that, oh, they really did get the right person. They just never found the body, but they did get the right person. And these murders are going to stop happening. And so now he can kind of be on his way to healing. Like this didn't end how he wanted it to end, but at least he got his man. And so we flash forward and Deke is at home and he's beginning to burn all the stuff that he got out of Sparma's apartment in a trash fire. And one of the last things that he puts in his, uh, and he's at back at home, by the way. Um, one of the last things that he puts into the trash fire is a packet of freshly opened barrettes with one barrette missing. And then that's how the movie ends. It's a very disappointing and weird ending to me. I don't know why it took this long to get there. I mean, it certainly took long to get to get here in my review. And I just, I, I don't know what the intention was. Like, this was a good movie. No, it was an okay movie that had really great actors that they just didn't use well. You mean to tell me you turned Jared Leto into a creep that actually was didn't do anything. You turned Rami into uh, this obsessed and egotistical detective that ultimately cracked and broke and who knows if he's going to come back again. And then you have Denzel Washington playing this disgraced detective that does one more thing to haunt his dreams. Like, what is the point of all of this? Was the point for the the viewer to leave unsatisfied because I certainly did I don't know I don't know what to make of this thing other than I think it was too long I think it was too long I think it was too lofty in terms of of what it was trying to achieve I I didn't end up feeling sorry for Baxter I ended up I didn't feel sorry for Deke I didn't feel his redemption I felt sorry for Sparma because he didn't do any of this and he got killed for it. Even though he was a creep, creep, being a creep itself does not, does not warrant you to be victimized and to you, for you ultimately to, to be murdered. He was murdered. So anyway, it was a weird movie. I, and I ultimately, I like the actors. I don't like this film. And I won't ever watch it again. And I wouldn't recommend that anyone else watch it. But if you are going to watch it, maybe, you know, let me know if you see something that I don't see. It wasn't good. It was frustrating. Maybe, I don't know. Maybe I'm saying it wasn't good because it wasn't a satisfying end. And that's something that I'll have to figure out. I don't know. Anyway, but I'm not going to ponder on it too more too much longer because this move, this review was super long. So, I will end it here. I will invite you to leave me a message in the uh the app in the show notes. It'll go right to my anchor.fm page or at least it's not even anchor anymore. It's Spotify. Um um is or anchor by Spotify. 
um, because my whole color scheme has changed and everything has changed now. So however you get to my page, whatever my page, no, you'll get to my page because the link will be in there. Um, but yeah, if, leave me a message and s- I'm curious to know what you think about this, what you're hearing or what, what you know, if your take was different. I was disappointed, um, even though I enjoyed the acting. I enjoyed, yeah, I enjoyed scenes of the three of these folks playing, you know, playing off of each other. But like, ultimately, I'm disappointed in the film. It did not give me what I wanted. And I don't know exactly what I wanted, but this wasn't it. Also, thank you so much for sharing. Just sharing this out to anybody in your friend group or retweeting it, posting it, whatever. Um, I appreciate that because ultimately that's how um, you help spread the word about this thing. Um, And that you basically just help me continue to do this thing that I enjoy doing every week. So, yeah. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. I hope you're doing okay. Happy Valentine's weekend. You don't have a romantic Valentine. Love on your friends, your family, your nieces, nephews, your chosen family. Love on those folks because they got your back regardless. When you're up, when you're down, they got your back. So celebrate them this weekend. Um, And yeah, take a moment for yourself because we all need it. All right, that's enough for now. I've talked too much. Anyway, until next time.